All right, we're going to continue in 1 John tonight, and we are going to just do uh, six verses, uh, 1 John 4, 1 to 6. And so I'll read it, and we'll jump right in. We're, we're traveling through the book of 1 John, verse by verse by verse, not skipping any. And this is a, a great text tonight. It's a warning text. And so uh, I, I don't expect any of you to be surprised by the content here, but uh, just know that the Bible has blessings for us, and it has warnings, it has admonitions, it has uh, insights, it has good news, and sometimes it has bad news. But tonight is going to be a bit of a warning message. But my aim, and I think the Spirit's aim, is to build your discernment muscle. Build your discernment muscle. And so that's what this text is about, is discernment. So let's read together. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets had gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and is now in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Praise God for his word. It is for our health and benefit and to know God, that is ultimately the aim. As John tells us in, in John 5, Jesus speaking to a hostile crowd, he says, you diligently search the scriptures because in them you think you have eternal life, but these are the very scriptures which speak of me, and you refuse to come to me that you may have life. And so the aim of all the scriptures is that we, that we might come to God by the Spirit through the person of Jesus Christ. And so, we are going to learn tonight about false prophets, false teaching, and demonic power. But, the Holy Spirit and the Son and the Father are overall and greater than any deceptive spiritual power that exists in the world. And so, let's read verse 1 together again, and let's begin to unpack it. John's speaking affectionately to uh, the receivers of this letter, probably Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, the, the seven churches of Revelation, most likely. He says, don't believe every spirit. Now, let's pause right there. <clears throat> I've said this before, and, and I'm, I'm becoming more convinced of it, that I think we have lived in uh, a secular society that is pervasively um, materialistic, and we don't think about God in our consciousness when it comes to everyday life. Uh, you know, the world just kind of works 
photosynthesis and the law of gravity and the hydrological cycle. It, it all just kind of, the sun rises and the sun sets, and we don't often think that God is behind all of it, all of it at His command and will. And I think that we're also not often thinking about the invisible world and the spiritual realities that interact with us every single day. As Ephesians 6 says, uh, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers over this present darkness. And as some of you know, that word wrestle literally means hand-to-hand combat. It's, it's close quarters, like smelling the product in the hair, like slamming them on the ground, your body slamming. That's the image we're given for spiritual warfare, that demons are that close to you, trying to bring you down and take you uh, to, to not believe in Jesus anymore. And it is a fight. And we wonder, why is the Christian life such a struggle? Well, you're in a war. Like, let's not forget that the spiritual walk is one of warfare. What kind? Not against flesh and blood. We're not warring against one another and other people, though it often manifests itself in problems with with flesh and blood. Behind the flesh and blood tension and struggle, we're told, is demonic presence. And here, John is just not ashamed to say, look, there's a lot of spirits out there, and these spirits are teachers. These spirits are are giving messages. They are proclaiming, but not every spirit that speaks is speaking for God. In fact, many spirits are speaking not for God, but for the enemy of our souls, Satan himself. And so John is giving us a window into the spirit world. And for many of us who went to public school, we were taught satanic lives since we were in kindergarten. And so we've been eating this stuff for example, you know, God didn't create the world. We got here uh, by, by a big bang that didn't include God making the bang. <laughs> it just happened. Uh, and then, you know, life all ordered itself, and we came from lower life forms, and, and you know, we, we grew up into this intelligent, um, highest of life forms. Uh, you know, that, that's a fantastic story that's a satanic lie that many believe, and many smart people believe it and, and stand on it. Uh, but it's a lie, and it's a satanic lie, and it's a successful satanic lie because it opposes the truth of God. And so John says, look, don't believe every spirit. There are people who are speaking, and you're listening to them, and they are not inspired by the Spirit of God, though they might claim to be Christian, and they might claim to be speaking for God. He says, what should we do? We should test the spirits to see whether they are from God. And um, Jeff or rather, Gina read for us 1 Corinthians 12. And if you notice, tucked in the gifts described there is one gift called the discerning of spirits. The discerning of spirits. This would be an extreme gift of discernment. Now, all of us are called to be discerning as Christians. We all need to know the Scriptures well enough that when we hear error, something flags in our mind. Even if we don't know specifically what the problem is, there is, there's a flag on the field, and we're like, hold on, pause. That's not right. And sometimes you don't even know why it's not right, but you know something's wrong with this. Well, the person with the, with the gift of discernment can, can see right through error and lies, okay? But all of us, even if you don't have the gift of discerning spirits, which would be an extreme gift of discernment, uh, even if you don't have that gift, what we're being called to in, in 
1 John 4, 1 here, is we all need to be discerning and get good at discernment. And I want to say, here's the first way we can do that. You ready? Know your Bible. I mean, know your Bible. You know? So, so if I said, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world, hopefully, 1 John 4, 4 comes to mind. It just, it just comes to mind. Why? Because you've read 1 John. Am I wrong about that, Eddie? Why are you laughing? He who is in you is he who is greater in the world. Why are you laughing at me, bro? All right. I love you. See, I, I check with my elder, and he's laughing. You're already screwing up, man. Love you. Thanks for checking me on that, Eddie. Appreciate that. See, Eddie was exercising discernment, and I was not. 1 John 4, 4 should come to mind, okay? Now, how is that going to come to mind if you've never read 1 John? If I said, hey, what's in 1 John 4? And you're like, eh, I don't know. How are you going to be able to discern truth from error if you don't know your Bible well enough? If I said, hey, what's in John chapter 4? You should be able to be like, oh, that's the woman at the well. That's Jesus and the Samaritans, right? Like, you need to know your Bible that well that if I said, hey, what, what is the context of John 13 through 17? Oh, that's the upper room discourse. That's where Jesus was doing the Last Supper, right? It, friends, we need to read our Bibles and study our Bibles, not, and let, uh, I'm not dissing the daily bread, but if your devotions consist of this little tiny book that's a quarter page, and you read a paragraph, and you're like, I'm done for the day, baby. Now I can get onto the Wall Street Journal and all my podcasts and all my sports, you know, memorabilia, and that's not good. You are going to be deceived in a minute, okay? Spend time with your Bible. Here's why, friends. The Bible, when properly interpreted, is God speaking today. Many of us want to hear from God. We're like, if I could just hear from God, open your Bible and hear from God. I mean, think about that. You're like, I need a word from God of encouragement. And he's like, I gave you a massive book. Open it. Open it and read it. Memorize it. Say it to yourself. Say it to others. Friends, let us not neglect the word. Okay, so you ready for this? Here is one tactic of deceptive satanic warfare. Keep you from reading your Bible. If Satan can keep you from reading your Bible, your discernment will be at zero and he can deceive you every time. And you know what? I will admit, it does feel like work sometimes, opening up the Bible when the, you know, the new episode of your favorite series you've been streaming just released. And you're like, streaming or Bible? Uh, and you pick up the controller and you're like, I'll read it later. And then you don't, right? I'll read it later. And you don't. I'll read it tomorrow. And you don't. And it's been two weeks and you haven't picked up your Bible. You know it's true. It happens to all of us. Friends, if we are going to build the discernment muscle, you must not just read the Bible, but study it, memorize it, get familiar with it, pray over it. Oh God, speak to me as I read your word. Because it is God's way of communicating with us today. And if someone ever comes to you, which they have come to me and said, hey, I have a message from God for you. 
how are you going to know whether that message is really from God or not? Because many spirits, as John says, have gone out into the world with many messages. And there are many messengers of Satan. So what if you're in a church service or a worship gathering or a Christian concert or wherever, and someone comes to you and says, hey, I have a word from God for you. And they say it. How are you going to know whether it's from God or not? How are you going to know? One, does it line up with Scripture? And basically, that's as simple as it is. Okay? And if it lines up with Scripture, and it lines up with reality, and it lines up with what you might be going through, maybe it is a word from God. Maybe. I, I, don't, I don't think that's impossible. But what I've experienced, and again, this is anecdotal, often the words from God that people claim to have are not from God. It's their own ideas. It's their own fancies or fantasies. And they think they're speaking for God, but they're not. And again, that's not to say that can't happen, okay? But how are you going to know whether it's from God if you don't know the Word of God? Again, and so, so please, friends, let us be men and women of the book, of the Bible, because it is how God speaks to us most concretely. We all get impressions, right? You're like, I feel like God is leading me. I feel like God is, is moving me in this direction, Hey, we could call that a prompting. We could call that God's, you know, pushing or moving you. But how are you going to know that's God or if it's you or if it's some other thing? How are you going to know? Does it line up with Scripture? Does it line up with Scripture? And how are you going to know if it lines up with Scripture if you don't know the Scripture? And again, and I could go on and on and on, but I think you get the picture. You're like, all right, Chris, you're kicking a dead horse. Just move on. All right. So, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits. Test them, okay? That word test, um, it means see if it's true, see if it's reliable, see if it's, it's of substance, okay? When I was a, a young man doing illegal things, I would go downtown and I would buy off of the street vendors chains and watches. And, and it, was, it was really like this. It was like, hey, you want to buy a chain? Seriously, like that's, that's how they did it. Or, or they pulled out of their inside pocket a bunch of gold. And several times I got suckered into buying chains. It was like, man, I could get this 14 karat gold thick chain for 20 bucks? All right, I'll buy that, right? And so you're this, you know, this gullible teenager. And so one time I think I got maybe like three or four chains and a bracelet for $40. And you know what I did? I went right to the jewelry store. One of them actually tested real gold, believe it or not. And you know what I got for it? $40. And I was like, you know what? I'm never doing that again, ever. And so every time someone has tried to sell me something on the street, whether it's a brand new pair of real Oakleys for $10, right? Or, or hey, here's some Nike sunglasses and they're only five bucks. Don't believe any of those guys, please. Use your discernment, okay? But, but interestingly, you can take metal to like a treasure hunt or, or a, a legit jeweler and you can give it to them. And with their, you know, magical machines, they could tell you this is actually uh, steel that has been painted gold. You know, one time I was given uh, an old set of silverware and it was from like the 50s, you know, and you could tell it looked like the, the Jetsons cartoon animation on the, on the stuff. And I was like, this is worth a fortune, right? And so I took it to, to the treasure hunt and they're like, put it under their magical machine and it come up wanting. And they're like, I'm sorry, this is not silver. This is 
something else, you know, an, an alloy. And I was like, man, right? How did they know that? Because they have these magical machines uh, that can test the metal to see if it's legitimately silver or gold or platinum or, or whatever. Friends, we need to be able to do that, test the spirits to see whether they're from God or not, okay? Many false prophets have gone out into the world. Many false prophets have gone out into the world. Now, interestingly, as you look at church history and you look at uh, the New Testament itself, the warning is from among you will arise false teachers. Like from your own numbers, the, the guy sitting next to you in the pew, that's who you need to watch out from. Okay? And that's kind of scary, right? Because that's the warning. It's like, watch less what's going on out there and watch more what's going on in here. Let's look at this in just a few places. Here's Jesus giving the warning in Mark 13. He says, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect, that would be the Christians. Be on guard. I've told you all these things beforehand. Now, what you're going to see in this message as we unpack various verses is uh, Satan even has powers to do miraculous things, supernatural things that we would look at and be like, that's impossible. Just because a miraculous thing happens that you can't explain does not mean that it's from God because Satan has this kind of power as well. Paul, in Acts 20, has, has called the elders or the pastors from the church at Ephesus, and he wants to meet them on the coast, and he's exhorting them in Acts 20. And this is the last time he'll ever see them. And look at what he says to them. Remember, this is Paul talking to pastors. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Now watch 29, ready? I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves. So they'll come in from the outside, and from your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away disciples after them. And this is one of the things you'll see about false prophets is they draw people unto themselves. They're not pointing you to God. They're not pointing you to Christ. They're not pointing you to Scripture. They're drawing you unto themselves for whatever nefarious purposes they have in mind. But I want to show you that the warning here that Paul gave is they're coming from without and they're coming from within. So be careful. Peter, this is... Um, Peter's second letter here, he says, false prophets will also, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly, notice the deceptiveness, secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, even denying Jesus, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality. Sensuality uh, often has a sexual connotation. However, it's anything that is the flesh. It's just good feeling. Uh, it, it, it's 
the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life, sensuality. And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. They're going to take advantage of you and try to take your money because they're actually greedy. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Okay, and so here's Peter warning, here's Paul warning, here's Jesus warning, and, and we could do many other texts, but let's move to verse two. By this, by this, you know the Spirit of God. All right, so now we're given a test. By this, you're going to know if it's the Spirit of God. See the capital S? The Holy Spirit. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Verse 3, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. And we'll pause there. Now, what John was specifically dealing with was uh, a heresy that was like proto-Gnosticism. Okay? Gnosticism is secret knowledge, and uh, it, it came from Platonic thinking as well that said that spirit is a higher plane of reality than matter. And so Jesus if he was God, could not have come in matter, in flesh, incarnate, in a body. That was like crazy uh, to, the, to the Platonic thinking. Danny Aiken is the president of, of Southeastern, uh, and, and he wrote this. Historically, John was countering an early form of what is called Gnosticism, a term based on the Greek word that means knowledge. Gnosis appeared in a number of varieties but they all had two basic convictions in common. First, they believed that matter is evil, or at least inferior to spiritual reality. Second, they believed that salvation is by a mystical, even secretive knowledge. This bred extreme arrogance and pride in the Gnostic factions, and it led them to deny with great fervency a true and genuine incarnation of Christ. One camp, called Docetists, from the Greek doking means to appear, claimed that Jesus was a ghost or a phantom. He only appeared human. Another camp, led by a man named Serinthus, said that the Christ spirit came on and empowered the man Jesus at his baptism, but it left him at the cross. Okay? And so what you see common and what John is fighting here is, is a, a pre- form of Gnosticism that was full-blown um, by the time the, the death of the apostles arose. And we have the Gnostic Gospels, like uh, the Gospel of Peter and the Gospel of Thomas, and all these Gnostic books that claim to be from God, but were actually from Satan. And if you understand what Gnosticism is, it denies that matter is good. It denies that Jesus came in a body, and there's always secret knowledge. You can, you can smell out one of these Gnostic Gospels immediately. You're like, that is not consistent with Scripture that's Gnosticism, okay? And so that's what John's battling here. And he says, here's how you know. If they don't confess that Jesus Christ has come in flesh, if they're denying that Jesus came in a body, they're not from God. Okay? They, they are satanic and inspired by a demon. Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. Now, how many of you know Romans 10, 9, and 10? It's one of the most famous verses in all the Bible. Come on, put your hands up. One, two, two of you, three, four, five of you. Are we really, are we serious? If you confess with your mouth, 
that Jesus is Lord. Believe, right? Believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead and you shall be saved. Okay, one of the most famous verses in the Bible, therefore you should know it. Write it down, Romans 10, 9, and 10. Memorize that, okay? What we know is this. A mere verbal profession, Jesus is Lord, yes and amen, is not what that verse is talking about. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. No, it's not just saying it. It's the life that is backed up by the words. And so what Jesus is Lord means is yes, he is the ruling authority, sovereign over all things, but he's also ruling Lord and sovereign over me. In other words, I'm not my own, I've been bought with a price. Therefore, I'm gonna glorify God with my body. Therefore, my flesh desires this sin and this sin and this sin, and I have this excuse and this excuse and this excuse. It will do no good for you to give in to the flesh but yet claim Jesus as Lord. No, is he Lord over you or not? That's what it means to confess that Jesus is Lord. He is the Lord, yes and amen, but is he your Lord? Is he your ruler? Is he your sovereign? Does he get to call the shots in your life? Or are you the shot caller? And see, our culture would have you believe that you are the Lord of all and you are the center of the universe and all reality revolves around you. And if they refuse, you should make them conform because you are the Lord of all. That is our culture. It's so individualistic, it's hyper, and it's you-focused, it's meology. And so, for you to be able to break out of the cultural self-centeredness and say, no, I am not the Lord, I am simply a human being made of dust who is subject to death and decay, and I will stand before the Lord, friends, that means the Spirit of God's at work in your life. If you're able to break out and say, no, Jesus is Lord, and then your life begins to back it up, not perfectly, but begins to back it up. Jesus gets to call the shots in my sexuality, not me. Jesus gets to call the shots in my budget, not me. Jesus gets to call the shots in what I look at on my phone, not me. Jesus gets to call the shots about my relationships. Doesn't matter how hot he or she is. Are they devoted to Christ, et cetera? And we could go on and on. Is he the Lord? Is he the Lord of your time? Does he get to speak into your schedule? Or are you like, hey, Jesus, my calendar is my calendar. (laughs) See what I'm saying? Lord means he gets to rule and call the shots, not us. And again, we don't do this perfectly. But as we grow, he becomes more and more authoritative over our lives. And how do we know where Jesus speaks with authority? You should know the answer by now. In the word. Right? We, we know the word, and so we know where to find the commands of Jesus. In fact, this is discipleship. Matthew 28 says, go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all I've commanded. 
So friends, essential to your discipleship is you learning to obey all that Jesus commanded. If you're a disciple, obedience to Jesus is not optional. That's what it means to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Demons confess Jesus is Lord, but they're certainly not subject to his lordship, are they? And so they are not saved. We, as his people, say, I pledge allegiance to Jesus Christ and his lordship overall, even over me. And if that's you, that's miraculous. That's the spirit of God at work. Amen. And so, by this, you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. And that confess Jesus is why I emphasize Romans 10, 9, and 10. Because to confess Jesus is to confess him for who he claimed to be. The creator and sustainer and the judge of all the earth. That's who he claimed to be. But he's not just that, he's the savior, right? He, he is the merciful, loving Lord and savior. He's not just Lord, bow the knee or, or, or face you know, imminent death for eternity. No, he took imminent death for eternity on the cross. As my friend Tim Brendel once said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pause on that, okay? What Jesus said, in essence, is I'm going to take your place in order that I might be with you forever and that you might be with me forever. And friends, the opposition to his lordship is only while we are in this body. The flesh does not want to submit to the lordship of Jesus, but the flesh is not all you have. You are born again. You have a new spirit within you. You have the Holy Spirit within you. And so the exhortation in Romans uh, 8, 8 is to put to death the misdeeds of the body. Put to death the flesh because it will not submit to God, nor can it. And so though the flesh lives in you, it's not all you have anymore as a Christian. You have a new spirit and you have the Holy Spirit which produces new desires and gives you new power. And so with the power of the Holy Spirit, we begin to put to death our old desires, our old habits, our old wants and likes that are in opposition to Jesus. How do we do that? By the power of the Holy Spirit. And so that's what it means in verse three to confess Jesus. Confess him for who he claimed to be. Not who we want him to be or who we think he is. We don't get to shape Jesus in our image or get to shape him into a God that we want him to be. Jesus gets to be who he is. And in a sense, he's like, you take me for who I am or you don't take me. Friends, and so we must say, Jesus, you are the Lord, not me. You are the authority, not me. You are the creator and sustainer, not me. You are everything and I am dependent on you. And that's what it means to confess Jesus. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and is now in the world already. And so here, what we see is uh, the Antichrist is literally that, anti-Jesus. But it, it's subtle. It comes in with the name Jesus, but he's not really Jesus. 
He is a Jesus of the false teacher's own making or a deceptive Jesus satanically fashioned to deceive you. Okay? And so we want to get the real Jesus of the scriptures, who he claimed to be. We want to receive him. And the spirit of Antichrist is the spirit that will deceive you with a false Christ, will deceive you with a false Messiah. Verse 4, John says, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Now, this he who is in us is who? The Spirit, okay? So you notice the contrast. There is false spirits, demons, and then there is the Spirit with a capital S. And, and, and most good translations, the ESV being one of them, is going to make that distinction for you by capitalizing, okay? The Spirit of God is capitalized. And so the Spirit who is in us is the Holy Spirit. Now, what I want to show you is some promises from Jesus about what the Spirit will do, but I also want to show you how Satan is actively at work and was in the Scriptures. And so let's do this quickly. This is, again, that upper room discourse during the Last Supper. Remember John 13 through 17? Um, and so Jesus is, is during the Last Supper lecturing or discipling his disciples, and he is promising them the coming of the Holy Spirit. He says, when the Helper comes, notice how it's capitalized, see that? The Helper is the Holy Spirit, because that's what the Spirit will do. He will help us. When the Helper comes, who I will send to you from the Father, so you see the whole Trinity there in verse 26. You see the helper of the Spirit, Jesus is speaking, and the Father is going to be uh, the one who will, who will also send. The Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, look what he will do. He will bear witness about me. Now, this is really important, okay? Often, we hear many things and see many things done under the name and banner of the Holy Spirit, but it has nothing to do with Jesus, right? We've all seen the video clips, and this is the Spirit of God. Meanwhile, Jesus is not even in the picture, okay? What did Jesus say the Spirit will be primarily about? He will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness about me, why? Because you've been with me from the beginning. So the implication here of 26 and 27 is that the Spirit is going to come inside of you, and through you, you're going to bear witness about me. This is exactly what Jesus did right before the ascension in Acts chapter 1. He said, listen, I want you to wait. I want you to wait until the promise of the Father comes, until the Spirit comes, and then you will receive power. Power for what? He says, then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Jesus is going to be witness. This is what I saw. This is right like a court. You know, you go to court, you testify. This is what I saw. This is what I heard. This is what I experienced. That's what you're going to do, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And that's exactly what happened. Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes. And the rest of the book of Acts is the apostles declaring Jesus in city after town after new city after new town. 
And yes, miraculous things are done by the hand of the Holy Spirit, but it's often and most always to authenticate the messenger. And what's the messenger giving messages about? Jesus. They're not drawing attention to themselves like they're some miracle workers. No, the miracles authenticate the messenger because the message is what's important. What's the message about? Better be about Jesus. Right? Otherwise, maybe it's not the Spirit. And often it's not the Spirit when we see miraculous things happening, quote unquote, even today. Because where's Jesus? Where's the scriptures? Where's the truth? What we do see is hey, you need to sow some seeds here. You need to open up your wallet, and God's going to bless you. Right? We've all seen this, and we know that's not of God. All right. So here, is just the next chapter, same conversation, reiterated. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, notice twice he's called the spirit of truth. He, he gives the truth. He will guide you into all truth. Now that's so helpful. The Holy Spirit guides the Christian into truth, which means discernment, and you're able to spot error and discern, this is, this is not right. This is, this is not lining up with truth, with scripture. For he will not speak on his own authority, look, but whatever he hears, he will speak. Hears from who? Well, it must be from the Father and from the Son. So the, the Spirit is not gonna speak on his own authority. He's only speaking what he hears from the Father and the Son. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify who? me. And there you see it again in verse 14. When the Spirit of God is at work, friends, we can expect to see Jesus what? Lifted high, exalted, glorified. And when we hear this is the Spirit of God and yet Jesus is just absent, there's a missing Jesus, we must ask, is this the Spirit of God? He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And so he is going to be the teacher, the instructor, the counselor, the helper of the disciples, helping them to understand Jesus' message and messages. Often you read the Gospels and the disciples were crazy confused. Like, what was he talking about? But when the Spirit comes, he opens their minds, he illuminates uh, their understanding to, to give them what they need, and now they're going to go out post-resurrection and Pentecost, and declare Jesus. Verse 15, all that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said to you, he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Now, I want to show you in the scriptures that satanic abilities to do supernatural things is not out of the picture, and it's not unbiblical. And as I said earlier in the message, we're so used to kind of our secular, materialistic age that we don't even really think about the spirits, plural, demons at work in the world, and we certainly don't think they can manifest and do supernatural things. But the Bible would say otherwise. Many times this has happened. In fact, here is... Um, a warning in Deuteronomy. Now, context is key here, okay? We can't just take Deuteronomy, plop it down into 2023 and say, this is what we should do with false teachers and prophets, okay? This is Israel under a theocracy, meaning God is ruling and reigning as judge and the government, and what he says goes. We're not under a theocracy anymore, right? We are under a, a democratic republic right now, 
currently. Some would argue that, but that's at least the name what we're under. Uh, if a prophet, ready? If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, now look, implied in that is signs and wonders can happen. You see that? If this happens and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass, and if he says, let us go after other gods which you have not known and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. Notice that. So he is leading you away from the worship of God, but what is he doing? Real wonders, real signs. Meaning, this is demonically inspired and empowered. And how do we know that? Because he's leading the people away from the true and living God. That's what demons do. They want to draw you away from Christ, away from the Bible, away from truth. Antichrist. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you. Now, that's scary. We don't like that. One of the questions that came during the university Q&A was, does God send evil spirits and why? You may be surprised at the answer. The answer is yes, he sends evil spirits all through the Bible. You remember when Saul, the first king, was in disobedience? God sent an evil spirit to torment him. And then what happened? David would come and play the the harp thing, you know, and then the evil spirit would leave him, but then it would come back. God gave permission to Satan, in a sense, sending him to to destroy Job and and his property and his kids. and, And Paul says, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me. And I asked the Lord to remove it three times, and he said, No, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, this satanically inspired messenger had a purpose, and what was its purpose? To keep Paul humble. And so does God rule the evil spirits? Yes, they do what he wants. Now, some of them are rebellious, and he has them on a chain, and they can only go so far. You remember when Jesus showed up and the demon said, have you come to torment us before the appointed time? Don't send us to the abyss. Let us go into those pigs. Okay? And so they know who he is, and they're afraid of him. Let's keep going. For the Lord your God is testing you. So notice, because he lets these false prophets prophesy falsely and do miraculous things, from God's perspective, what is it? It's a test. For Satan and his perspective, it's a temptation. But from God and his perspective, his purposes, it's a test. What's the test for? Well, let's read. To know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Now, God knows, because he's omniscient, he knows that already. Who needs to know it? We need to know it. We don't know ourselves. And so often, God will show us ourselves by how we respond to tests, trials, and tribulations, which from Satan's purposes are legitimate temptations. He wants you to fail. From God's perspective, they're tests. And you know what testing and trials does, according to to James 1? Produces endurance and steadfastness. And the instruction is, let steadfastness have its full effect so that you will be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. That's God's purpose. And so the same event with two different purposes behind it, God and Satan, 
Verse 4, you shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice, and you shall serve him and hold fast to him. But that prophet or dreamer of dreams shall be put to death. Now, under the theocracy, this is what God wants to happen to false prophets and teachers. You, you kill them. You kill them. Why? Because he has taught rebellion against the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you out of the house of slavery to make you leave the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk so you shall purge the evil from your midst. Now, we can't, again, plop that down into 2023. All right, let's make some application. Let's go hunt some false prophets. Let's do it. Right? We have permission. I know some of you were, were pretty dangerous in the past, so let's, let's break that out for God's purposes. No, we can't do that anymore. So theocracy, this is God's rule, and the people were directly to obey his command. We're not under a theocracy anymore. Okay? There are some who would want us to be under that anymore. I am not of that camp. Um, demons do lying signs and wonders. Man, I'm out of time. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. This is uh, Moses and Aaron, his brother, before uh, uh, Pharaoh and his servants. He cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. The Pharaoh summoned the wise men, the sorcerers, and, and they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same by their secret arts. Notice that. Uh, these Egyptian magicians, sorcerers, demonically inspired men were able to duplicate this, mirac- this miraculous happening where the staff gets thrown down and it turns into a snake. They did it. But what happened? Do you remember? For each man cast down his staff and they became serpents, but Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. I love that. So, so God's serpent was like, all right, that's impressive. I'm going to eat you now. <laughs> and he swallowed up their, their, their miraculous signs. Still Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he would not listen to them. Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded in the sight of Pharaoh, in the sight of his servants. He lifted up the staff, struck the water of the Nile, and the water in the Nile turned to blood. And the fish of the Nile died, and the Nile stank, so that the Egyptians could not drink the water from the Nile. There was blood throughout the land of Egypt. But the magicians of Egypt did the same by their secret arts. Not a trick. This is real. They were able to take water from the Nile and turn it into blood also. So Pharaoh's heart remained hardened, and he would not listen to them. And then you, you remember the story. Stretch out your staff, strike the dust of the earth so that it may become gnats in all the land. And he did so. Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff, struck the dust of the earth. There were gnats on man and beast. All the dust of the earth became gnats in all the land of Egypt. The magicians tried by their secret arts to produce gnats, but they could not. So there were gnats on man and beast, and the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. They know who they are, and they know what's happening now. Oh, man, this is God. It's remarkable. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. So my my point in bringing those few things to you as example is the demonic powers are real, and they can really do supernatural things. And so though we live in a materialistic, secular world, you should believe the Bible, These things can happen, but just because they happen and we're wowed by it, we should not automatically think, this is God. No, because it might not be God. 
It might be deceptive spirits trying to lure you away. And how are you going to know whether it's God or not? What is the purpose of the miraculous sign? What is the message they're bringing? What is the lifestyle of the person doing the miraculous signs? You need to look at these things and be discerning. All right, let's finish. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. That is the, the staff of God eating the staffs of the magicians. It's greater. He's, he's, he's better. Verse 5, they are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God and listens to us, whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. What, what John is saying here in 5 and 6 is this. The us is John and the apostles. Okay? The apostles were the authoritative, commissioned by God himself, Jesus, to go with the truth and to make disciples. And those disciples were to make disciples, and those disciples were to make disciples. And here we are, 2,000 years later, disciples of the apostles who were disciples under Jesus. Okay? And so the idea here is, if they listen to the apostles, they're from God. If they won't listen to the apostles, if they won't confirm the apostolic teaching, they are not from God. Friends, where do we find the apostolic teaching? The scriptures. And so for us, again, it's back to the New Testament. I think you know this, but I'll say it. All of the 27 books of the New Testament were written either by an apostle or a close associate of, the apostle, uh, of an apostle or by the brothers of the Lord himself. Jude and James, okay, the, the physical brothers of Jesus, who be, James became a leader in the church, and, and Jude wrote that one chapter uh, book of Jude. And so Luke was, was Paul's physician who traveled with him in Acts. Mark got his source material directly from Peter, and on and on we could go. The, the New Testament is directly from the apostles or those who are close associates of the apostles or Paul with his 13 letters himself, maybe 14 if he wrote Hebrews. We don't quite know. Another way we know that the, the 27 books of the New Testament are, are the 27 inspired books is because they are absolutely consistent with one another and consistent with the 39 books of the Old Testament. No contradictions, all of them woven together perfectly such that if you click on one part, it takes you to Exodus, and if you click on Exodus, it takes you to the Gospels, and amazingly consistent, as if there was one writer of the whole book. Oh my, there was. The Spirit of God writing through men over a span of 2,000 years. And so John is saying here, Look, this is how we know. They either listen to the apostles, us, or they don't. And the ones who listen to us and agree with us, they are from God. The ones who deny what we are speaking and what we are teaching, they are not from God. That's how you will know, all right? And let's, I know this is dangerous. Let's end with this and then we can eat. Can we end with this? Give me a thumbs up. All right, good. See, you guys love the Bible. That's why I love you. Peter, in, in the last chapter and the last paragraph of his second letter, this is like important. Listen to what he says. Beloved, since you are waiting for these, and the these has to do with what he just said, it's, it's the coming day of the Lord. It's the elements melting like fervent heat. It's the judgment of sinners. 
Okay, that's what came just before this. Since you're waiting for these, you're waiting for this to happen, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. What should you do while you're waiting for the coming of Jesus? Purify your life and be at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks of them in these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, look at this, as they do the other scriptures. So Peter is affirming that Paul wrote scripture and even you know, before the canonization of the 27 books of the New Testament, Peter is recognizing that Paul writes scripture and false teachers are twisting and perverting the words of Paul like they do the other 39 books of the Bible. That's pretty amazing. That within the scripture itself, we have testimony to the authenticity and authoritativeness of the apostle to the Gentiles. And I love that Peter's like, yeah, when I read Romans, I'm scratching my head sometimes. Like Romans, you know, 11, 12, you know, even 9, 10. Like when I preach, I skip that. That's what Peter says, you know. I just skip 9, 10, and 11. They'll never know. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you're not carried away by the error of lawless people and lose your stability. Friends, let's be stable Christians. Peter doesn't want us to lose our stability, be blown around by every wave and wind of teaching that comes past that's hot and new. But grow, here's the admonition, verse 18, grow in what? In the grace of and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. How are you going to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord? Study your Bible. Get to know the Lord through his word. And again, it's back to the beginning. Let us be students, but not students so that we can just have knowledge because knowledge puffs up. But knowledge that we may know God. That's the end. The end goal of knowing Scripture is that you might know God and then go and make Him known. Make disciples. Who then can go make disciples? What will this do? To Him be glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Friends, we have a true message that we're supposed to be sharing with others. Some of us have the gift to share this message and some of us we will share it without the gift. In other words, some of us are gonna have an easier time sharing it and it's gonna be more effective and fruitful because you have a gift for it. Just like not everyone can come up and teach for 55 minutes <laughs> or longer, I'm sorry. I apologize, don't look at it. It's a gift, all right? Some of you are like, it's not a gift. It's not a gift, bro, it's not a gift. A gift is when Justin preaches. It's like 35 minutes. <laughs> Justin's my hero, by the way. I don't know how he does it. I've asked him to help me. He won't help me. So blame Justin. If you're like, Chris preaches long, just talk to Justin and say, why don't you help him? You know? All right. So we have good news to tell. And this good news is about the Lord of glory. Come as us. It's amazing. 
He humbled himself, became his own created creature, though he being uncreated became what he created and lived perfectly in such a way that none of us could ever live. He loved God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength and loved his neighbor as himself completely his whole life. It's amazing. And then, friends, he went to a Roman cross and died a substitutionary death for all those who would ever believe in him, turn from their sin and entrust themselves to him, ask for mercy and grace, and we will be forgiven. And then a lifelong journey begins of recognizing his lordship and living like he's the Lord. And that's the Christian life. In addition to bringing others in, and friends, that's what, that's what I'm hoping for all of us. We have this good news to tell. And the good news is not necessarily about what we need to do. It's good news about what Jesus already did. And once we come to him, then the process of change and growth and sanctification comes. And so let us proclaim this good news, trusting that Jesus, by his spirit, will work through us to draw other men and women to himself. Family, friends, neighbors, co-workers, strangers, all kinds of people, men, women, and children. Let us be about sharing this good news, which is the power of God unto salvation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this good news that we have to receive and then to tell. Father, we thank you that Jesus has given us such clarity in his teaching, in his life, in his death, burial, and resurrection. Father, we thank you for the spirit of truth. And I pray, Father, for each one of my, my friends and family here, that God, you would make us a discerning people, a people that love the truth, but also love people. God, that we would be, as Jesus was, full of grace and truth. That, God, we would have our discernment muscles built up. That, God, we could discern truth and error. And that we would be not only people of the truth, but people that tell the truth. People that proclaim the truth. And invite others to the truth. God, help us. We thank you for this great privilege to be yours and to be your people and people of the truth. And it's in Jesus' name. Everyone said...